welcome in. So if this is your first time here, you're coming um, in what may or may not be a familiar time. We are what I would call a non-denominational charismatic church. And so we're not known for our church calendar adherence. And then we're doing Advent this year, which is straight up church calendar stuff. And I had confessed last week that churchy things aren't my home base, but this one is an important thing that we want to talk about because Advent means arrival. That's what this word comes from. And what this time in the church calendar is designed to be about isn't really Christmas in the sense of just look, Jesus is coming to be born in Bethlehem and all that kind of thing. What it's really meant to be about is to focus on Jesus' second coming, you know, like what you read about in Revelation and all this kind of stuff, in light of his first coming. And more specifically, it's meant for us to reflect on, yeah, these three Advents is kind of the idea. Jesus Jesus coming at Christmas is obviously one of the themes, you know. And then Jesus' second coming in the last day, the day of the Lord. And then also Jesus with us now. These are the kind of things we're supposed to contemplate. Kind of how do we live in the, in the, in the revelation of all of these things? And uh, kind of an interesting uh, harmony we're doing because the way we've been going through this is kind of, since it's not a biblical feast, and what I mean by biblical feast is one of the ones that like we've talked about before, like Passover, where there's instructions in the Bible of how to do that, or Sukkot or something like that. And then traditions develop around that. This one is one that people made up, smart people, on purpose, and it's a good thing. But the way different types of churches do it varies. And so um, you, you run into a, an interesting situation where the original four themes, like we just did, the, we're, today we have the pink candle, or technically rose, if you're into, you know, it's a rose-colored candle. And <laughs> it's joy. But the original four themes were um, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And hell was the last one on purpose. So that's like a good feeling. You know? And the, the point was to draw us into the, situ- like the reality of our lives without God. That's what it's supposed to be. So it's supposed to be slightly terrifying because it is. And then people, I think, in the mid-20th century were like, can we lighten it up a little bit? I mean, it's Christmas. So they added the peace, to love, joy thing, which is also good because that's actually what our lives are like with Jesus. So, but you run into strange collisions thematically, and then we were stuck in one of those today because I don't know if you picked up on the scriptures because what we decided to do is like we're just going to preach through the scriptures that people are reading during this Advent thing because we're part of the body of Christ worldwide, and there's people worldwide that are reading these same scriptures today and celebrating these same things or some close version of it, like I said, depending on their church tradition or whatever, and it's a good thing for us to remember that. We are part of a body. You know, even in Revelation, we're like part of this great multitude of people, you know what I mean? And it's good to reflect on the same things at the same time and pray the same things or similar things at the same time. And so we're in a strange collision today because the theme for the week is joy. And the kind of main character that this we're reading about is John the Baptist. And so you have this, this uh, and, and you see his message uh, starts off with kind of a zinger, you know, which we'll get to. Um, and that's, th- this, is, this is okay. I think it's actually, we're supposed to feel the tension of this. And so I found myself, as I was kind of getting ready for this, I was like, well, how much can I like, you know, you know it's like, is this a, a happy, joyful thing? Or is this like a, a scary thing? Or what, you know what I mean? 
And so you kind of find yourself trying to like, yeah, let's make it this way. I'll try to get the joyful. And then you feel like, well, I kind of have to lie for that. You know, and you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll make it. You know, and then you're like, well, it's both. Okay. And my mind went to this. when, uh, Since we're talking about John the Baptist, Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says this, talking about John the Baptist coming. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. This is God talking now. He's talking about humanity, our status, all these sorts of things before God. And he doesn't describe this day of the Lord as great. And he doesn't describe it as just terrible. There's an and in between that, in English at least, you know what I mean? And he's saying it's both. This day of the Lord is coming. And we talked about this a little bit last year, that the arrival of Jesus in your life, in any one of those three advents, Jesus coming as a baby and then growing into a, a human man in, the, in Israel and everything, you see him interacting with people and they, they interact with him the same way we do, or him coming into your life now, or you looking to his coming at the end, brings on this great and terrible thing. It's great if you're seeking a savior. It's great if you're oppressed and you want the end of oppression. Like this is the oppression you're experiencing will end. The, the bad things in this world are coming to an end. That is great news. It is the best news that could ever exist. Jesus is king over everything and will end all evil in the entire world. This, I mean, there's no better news than that could ever exist in human history. At the same time, it's terrible if you want to kind of maintain the illusion that started way back in the fall that you can run this place. You know, like when he's like, if you, you know, God doesn't really want you to eat that fruit because then you'll be like him. We've been wanting to be like him the whole time. And, that, and the kind of at the core of all these things we deal with as people is just kind of trying to pretend like we're like God and be God or that kind of thing. And if you want to keep doing that, you're going to hit this like a brick wall and it's a terrible day because you're going to realize it's absolutely not possible or true. And it's hard for us stuck in the middle to go, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, especially if you feel like we might have something to lose. And so it's okay because today's message is a general message but it has very specific application. And so you're going to have to do that part, all right? I could, like, go through and make a list. And you'll see we run into a little bit of a list in here. Don't, don't wait on me to make up the list. You need to make up the list, okay? You'll, get, you'll see what I mean. Let's just get right into this. So we're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, who we talked about a little couple weeks ago, you know, or his parents, you know, the, the angel was like, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be, you know, and he's like, really? We're like really old, you know, or he called himself old, Zechariah did. He didn't call his wife old. I think he, I, I can't remember what he said exactly, but it was like, what? Yeah, yeah, long in years or something, yeah. <laughs> Smart man, yeah, advanced in years, yeah. She was advanced, and he's just old, but, you know, anyway, um, but God does this miracle, and we're going to look again at uh, Mary and Elizabeth and all that kind of thing, and the babies next week, but the but John the Baptist. It, so in the Matthew parallel, it's like in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." Again, this is kind of an interesting thing, and that's really the whole summary of what we're going to go through. Repent, which means stop what you're doing and change it, because this kingdom, Jesus is 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 here. He has come near. He's here. So change what you're doing, because Jesus has come here. That's the whole thing, and so. Um, one, one, one of the commentaries I was reading was saying this. John the Baptist's witness to Jesus marked the end of the old age of the law and the promise and the beginning of a new age of fulfillment. He's kind of that spot 
you know, Malachi, that thing I read you at Malachi is kind of at the very end of the Old Testament, you know, and then we jump over to a couple hundred years later, here's the guy saying, hey, it's happening now. You know, a lot of things didn't line up that quickly, you know, even in the way they put them in the Bible. But John's baptizing people. He's saying, come, like people, he's out in the wilderness, he's baptizing people, they're coming, he's telling them to repent because the kingdom's there, and then he's baptizing them as a cleansing. He's like, well, what is this thing they're doing? And that's why we call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer or whatever, you know. I, I kind of think that John the Baptizer thing came because there was, like, the Baptist church started to exist, so other people are like, no, you can't have this guy, we're going to, John the Baptizer, but <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> that might be that too, you know. But I mean, specifically the difference between Baptist and baptizer, you know. Either way, the guy was baptizing people. And what do you mean by that? This, uh, um, he was taking people through this kind of ritual cleansing of this mikvah is the term that you would find. And it's in the Old Testament. There's instructions about it, a, a ritual washing, a submersion. There was different ways they would do it. And you could see that even by Jesus' time, guys, like I said, they come up with some extra rules around it, like when you needed to wash your hands and when you didn't. And Jesus followed some of those and not other ones and things like that. But there was these instructions, and you can find them in Leviticus and stuff, about like washing before, like the priests before they come into the presence of God and stuff. And that's probably the most useful one for today. Like, you need to wash yourself before you come into the presence of God. And he's doing kind of the same things that we talk about when we baptize people here, because it represented to them, then, and even now, these exact same things. It represents kind of both a death, like we bury a dead body, and then kind of a birth, like you're coming out of a womb and all something, a rebirth, we would say in Jesus, you know, like when he talks to Nicodemus and stuff. And so that's what we say when we're baptizing people, that you go, you know, that this is a representation of a rebirth into the life of the Spirit, born again, these language, you know. But it also represents kind of like the things that you, it, it, it looked like, like washing off the bad things in your life, you know. And that's kind of the theme. You see this in 1 Peter. This is New Testament, 1 Peter 3.21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or the Old Testament in Ezekiel uh, 36, it says, I will, sprinkle, I, will sprinkle you, wait, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put in... It will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So today we're all talking about this washing, this cleansing, this getting ready. You know, it's like you think about people getting ready for a wedding or getting ready for, I don't know, prom or something. There's like a getting ready process. And now that I have daughters, like that getting ready process, I grew up in a house of all boys. The getting ready process was like <laughs> about five minutes, maybe. Am I right? <laughs> There's an all boy family there. The girl getting ready process is a little bit longer. We'll just say that. <laughs> what? There are other people that live in our house besides just you. But <laughs> the, uh, there, there was a lot of getting ready process. But that whole, like, what is that and why are we doing that? You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and the idea of, you know, getting ready for Jesus coming into your life and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, and even an invitation of Jesus might give you into some place or some role. You know, we're not talking specifically here. I mean, it is, uh, we're getting towards salvation, which is something Jesus does 
for us, but this idea that in our Christian life, there may be different times even where God says to you, you know, I'm coming and we're going to do this thing, and then you have to get ready for it. And it kind of makes perfect sense unless you try to, like, you know, not really engage or something like that, you know. And that's why this scripture that we're going through today, the one they read, um, and it's Luke 3, 7 to 18, if you want to turn there in your phone. <laughs> Does anyone have a paper Bible here? Yes. Look at this, guys. Did your mom make you bring that? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Um, well, you can turn there. It's Luke, Luke 3, 7 to 18. So again, this is a, this is a funny thing. Uh, uh, let's see, I'm just going to get right to it. So, so, so John the Baptist, starting off the message about joy, verse 18. Oh, wait, no, no, sorry, I got, no, this, is what, this is what's funny to me, because I was like, gosh, this is a really rough one about joy. But then the last verse, 18, uh, or right near the end, it says, And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So everything we're going to look at today, that's the last part of it. Is telling us this is good news. They heard it as good news, okay? This is good news, right? This is joyful good news. This is all good news, right? All right, let's go into the good news. John said to the crowds coming out to him to be baptized, or com coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So <laughs> starting off kind of hot there. Um, and I'm just going to keep reading here. Produce the fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Whoa. Okay. Hello. So what he's doing there is he's starting to prepare the way for Jesus. Prepare the way. We're going to get into that in a little bit. And he's producing the fruit in keeping with repentance. He's talking about living like you actually trust and believe in God, you know? And so he's, and, and then he warns them very specifically. I guess he knows what they're going to say. They're like, we're like, Abraham's our father. We're good. And he, so he's saying, don't even, cons don't even, don't count on your, your heritage to save you at all. Like at all. Because God could make stuff, like, it doesn't matter. And so he's, he's putting in that, I would put everything in that. Like, he's like, don't count on your heritage. Don't count on your family. Like, doesn't matter if your mom went to church her whole life or something like that's not how this works it doesn't matter your connections like maybe you're in a place where like you've never had to follow the rules because you always knew a guy or something like that you see what i'm saying he's saying none of that works in this kind of situation like when you stand before god there's no well i know a guy you see what i'm saying on your own you follow what i mean by that he's trying to draw your attention our attention their attention at the time our attention now to your situation to your predicament you can't count on your family name. You can't count on your connections. You can't count on your, situ your ability to work things out. And then they go, the same thing maybe we're thinking in verse 10. Well, then what should we do then, <laughs> the crowd asks. And then this is where the general message becomes specific, okay? We go through some categories. Again, they're not going to name yours because there aren't computer programmers at this time. You see what I'm saying? You follow what I mean by that? You know, So don't... Don't get hung up on the, oh, good, I'm not a tax collector, so I guess I'm good. Like, do the homework part of this, all right? Because the Lord is speaking to us the same way. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same, caring for other people, right? 
Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. When he says even there, that's implying these are bad guys in this society, right? These are like the mob or something like that. Even the mob came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. And then the soldiers asked him, well, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So he's basically kind of correcting them back to like doing what, like I don't think there's a person that would read that for, I mean, I'm not saying Christian, non-Christian, ethically, whatever. You just go, well, that sounds like the right thing to do, like what you're supposed to do. You know, it's kind of like he's just putting them back to where it's supposed to be, you know. And he's telling everyone to, to care about other people and, um, and to treat other people properly, you know. And he's describing that in the context of the fruit, produce the fruit in keeping with repentance, this proper way of treating others and living is what he's talking about, a life that reflects a trust and a, no and a knowledge of the existence of God, the, you know, his presence, this great and terrible thing that God loves us, but God also knows every single thing we do and think, you know. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Like they're like, maybe he's Jesus because Jesus isn't around yet, right? And they know that all that stuff in like Malachi I just read you and the other places, they know there's a guy coming. Maybe it's him. You know, John answered them all, I baptize you with water. The one who is more powerful, sorry, I'm not reading well today, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so he's telling them to repent, turn away from their evil ways. He's telling them, I am not the Messiah, but Jesus is coming. Or he maybe doesn't know his name yet. He's like, he's coming, you know, and he will destroy all evil. And fire represents both this life that's, this is, again, another one of those weird juxtapositions, Holy Spirit and fire. And you were like, well, that makes me think of Acts 2. And the answer is yes. It's, that's, yeah, it's like the, the life of the Spirit of God, like God living in you, represented by fire, like your life of a flame. But then it also represents this weird, this purifying fire that burns out all impurities, or like the fire of the end, like the con all consuming. So it's all of those things at the same time, okay? And really, what it's saying and what is consistent about all those things is that God and sin don't exist in the same place, the same space. Remember the Malachi verse where he's like, I'm sending people sending a guy, and I'm going to do some things. Otherwise, if I come now, you're all done for. It's kind of the summary of what the, that Malachi verse. He's like, you don't, it's not going to work out well for you, you know. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and, and to gather the wheat into his barn, and, but it will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, intense language about the judgment of God. Winnowing fork, all this stuff is talking about how they would separate the wheat germ and stuff, and some of you that make bread know what I'm talking about. There's parts of the wheat you eat and the parts of the wheat that are just like the shell parts and stuff, and they had to have ways to get that apart, and he's using that. They were all more more familiar with it than we are. I'm trying to think of a modern equivalent. Can't do it. Anyway, yeah, you get the idea. And then we have this end. And with many other words, John exhorted the people to proclaim the good news to them. So all of this super intense language is good news to the people that are hearing it. So the thing that I want us to look at today is John is preparing the way for Jesus to come in his ministry. Like we kind of fast forwarded to these are like when they were already grown up and adults. And like if you know the story, which most of you do, Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. And that's kind of the official beginning of Jesus' public ministry time, you know. And John is doing what he's been like commanded by God or created by God to do this kind of thing. 
and he exists right at that in-between spot between these, you know, the end, like they said, the end of the promise, the beginning of the fulfillment. He's that spot kind of on a timeline, if you do. And we find ourselves in a very similar spot on a timeline that we are, you know, after Jesus' ascension, but before his return. So we find ourselves, and it's a longer spot, you know, maybe in a way, but um, longing for Jesus' return. And how do we prepare for Jesus coming in our lives is really what I wanted to get back to today. And I do think that would include, um, well, I'm just going to read it. You, you see, if you look earlier in that chapter in Luke, that there's a little section in quotations saying, look, this fulfills this thing from Isaiah, you know. He's talking about Isaiah 40. And so there's this global sense of this, that John the Baptist is preparing for Jesus um, in the world for everyone, all this kind of thing. And then what about, I want us to hear these things about our own lives, right? Because all of us have our lives, and there's this kind of strange mixture of um, things I do that I don't want to do, things I do that I do, you know, like, and how, what is our role in all of that? You know, some people call it sanctification, you know, justification, all these different words start to float around. They can muddle the waters a little bit. Let me maybe be helpful sometimes. Jesus is our Savior, all right? So our right standing before God was accomplished by Jesus on the cross and our, you know, acceptance of the new life he offers. But this life that we have here, what do we fill it with and all that kind of stuff? And what if there's things God wants to do in us that we are just hyper-distracted to the point that they don't happen. You see what I'm saying? I talked a little bit about this book a couple weeks ago called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I have links to, I had, I, the last couple weeks, if you've been here, I've been referencing like five or six books. I put links to all of them on our website. Show this one, Sandy, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, because I think this gets at some of this. I do think that what John the Baptist is talking about and what the salvation message of Jesus is talking about is absolutely repent from the wrong, sinful things you've done in your life and make changes in your life, right? Return from these wrong things. That's absolutely part of it. It's the biggest part of it. But one of the things we overlook all, all the time is some of the stuff that Asaf was getting at, and like he said, we didn't plan this, is that we tend to fill ourselves, our lives up not always with things that are outright evil. You know what I mean? And I could turn up, turn up the contrast on this a little so you can see. But like, I don't always walk around just murdering people. You're like, thou shalt not murder. That's sin. I'm murdering people. Okay, you know. And even if you talk about, like, Jesus' version of that, like, you're just hating people. Like, I don't, you know, we don't all try to walk around doing that as much, even whether we do or not. But we might fill our time with nothing things, like waste, you know. And what this book gets at is how much of our time and our devotion, and maybe you could even get into our worship, is spent worshiping, focusing on, and devoted to nothing. Which, the net effect of that is wrong. You know, like, what are you giving your devotion to? That's really what you worship. You know, when the Bible talks about idols, we go, well, good, we don't do that anymore, but we just don't have the idol in our house. So you don't actually bow down in front of this idol, we worship it on our phone or whatever. You see what I'm saying? It's where we're giving our devotion to. And he's trying to help us get out of that. You know, and that book links on our website. I highly recommend it because he, he takes you through some things. So in Isaiah 40, 
This is what John the Baptist is fulfilling. He's fulfilling a lot of things, you know, but this is the one that sticks out. And I'll tell you, this has stuck out to me because when I read it this week, I was like, wait a minute, I've read that wrong my whole life. And then I found in the link, I was like, oh, some translations do it differently. And I'll tell you what I mean. Verse 3 of Isaiah 40 starts like this. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare. So, so here, here's the interesting thing. Some translations, the one I remember reading, I guess, my whole life is, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Then it starts the quotation part. And that's how I've always heard that. And I've always, you know, read it. And I've always felt it. And I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, the darkness, and that's the wilderness, and John's in the wilderness, and da da da, you know, all this kind of thing. And it, well, it does. It does mean that. And that's fine. But it was interesting to me when I read it this week. This is the voice of one calling. And what is he calling? He's saying, in the wilderness, prepare. Because a lot of us are in the wilderness. And he's not just a voice calling in the wilderness. He's just calling out, in the wilderness, I want you to prepare. You hear that's a little different? I was like, man, what? Now, I don't know who translated these things this way, but I, I think this is a really good word for us all today. Is that if you're in the wilderness, he's not saying, get out of it. He's saying, prepare for the way of the Lord, because he's coming. This is it. In the wilderness, prepare. And, and, and so make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Make, he's like saying, you, make it like you're in the wilderness. Prepare for the Lord. He's coming here now. And so it does kind of say the same thing, but you get the point. In the wilderness, prepare. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places of plain. He's saying all these things that fill our lives and prevent whatever, they're going to be wiped out, you know. And so he's, 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 I'll just keep reading. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's, that's kind of a mic drop type statement, you know. And it's going to happen. Or Isaiah 62, this is another similar passage. It says this, pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, and raise a banner for the nations. And here's what I'm saying about this, and this is why I think that you could say everything from sin is what John's talking about, all the way to, like, anything that's just a waste, you know, is that some of the things that we need to repent from and leave behind or make move out of the way are mountains. Like they're huge, you know. And some of them are stones. And either way, no matter what's going on, in the wilderness he's saying, make way, he's coming. You know, and so <laughs> the good news is if you're in the wilderness, or like as we were talking about using, and we will read at the end Psalm 23 as our like, you know, comfort and closing and all this kind of thing, is that if you're in that valley, we know that it's eventually going to be raised. It's going to be over. But if you're in it now, he's saying, make way, the Lord is coming. Or in that scripture, even he's right here with you. You know what I mean? So it's a lot more like Elijah or he's like saying, like, gosh, we're surrounded by the army. He's like, open my servant's eyes so he can see that, you know, there's actually some other stuff going on. This is what God wants us to have, this type of Revelation, which only comes from the Holy Spirit. Continuing in Isaiah 40, it gets down to this. It says, a voice says, cry out. Now, that's John the Baptist, right? 
a voice is crying. He says, and but then he says, and I said, what shall I cry? That's Isaiah responding back, you know. And then all the people are like grass and the flowers of the field. He's just saying like, but then listen to this. It keeps going. You, verse 9, it goes down. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah. Here's what you say. A voice, remember in verse 6, or verse 6, a voice cries out, and I say, what shall I cry? Here's the answer. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd, and he gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads those who have nothing. And it reminded me of the other scripture they read when they lit the candle, which was in Isaiah 12. A lot of Isaiah stuff is about Jesus and John the Baptist and all that kind of thing, but it applies to our lives just very readily. He says this, Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And when they describes in that one we just read in Isaiah 40, Great, like how? You know, the, the sovereign Lord com, comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. And see, his reward is with him, his recompense accompanies him. But he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries those close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. And so, what we see all in all of this is this strange and awesome. When Jesus comes in, anytime. When he was born, we talk about three advents. When Jesus came, this happened. When Jesus is coming, this will happen. And when Jesus comes into our lives at any time now, uh, these things happen. It's both great and dreadful. It's great because he's inviting us into eternal life. And everything that that means and everything that that could every anything you could mean by that word is what Jesus is giving us. But what he's taking away is all the stones, which includes like our desires and all these kinds of things. But we don't have to be so, when you know him, you know that he cares for you like a shepherd does for his sheep. He's not like, I'm just going to come and make you do all sorts of things because I'm mean and I like to be mean to people just to show that I'm powerful. God doesn't do that. That's what people do. That's why that kind of stuff kind of scares us because we're like, gosh, you know, that sounds like abuse. That sounds abusive. And it's like, well, it, it, it is when people do it because people are messed up, you know, but God isn't messed up. God is, he reveals his love to us that while we are yet sinners, he loves us. And he, the ultimate revelation of that is his death on the cross on our behalf. And so we don't have to worry that he's coming to just be mean, but the absolute severity with which he comes in, it's, he's not a good, like, like there's like some famous person, some famous preacher said like, Jesus is not a good house guest. He takes the place over. You see what I'm saying? And that's great, it's wonderful, but it's also terrifying if you want to run the place. And if we're frank with ourselves, a lot of us want just enough to be Jesus-y. And you, you get right to this line where he's just about, come on up here, Kayla, just about to take over. I bow down to the Holy One, yeah. Just just right there, and then you back up just enough that I can just get close enough that I can see it. 
You know, I li- we live in this darkness. Just want to know there's a light there. And Jesus is like, I want to come and live in you. And you're like, yeah, see, I like running the place, though. I like pretending that I'm in charge. I like pretending that I'm God and that the world revolves around me. The good news that what John is offering is... It's hard good news, but it's good news. The good news is that that is not true. And if you take enough time to think about it, or even just look at... um, Anytime anybody dabbles into writing a movie or something, like, 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 what's the movie with Jim Carrey in it where he becomes God for a day or whatever? Bruce Almighty, yeah. He ends up going, I don't want to do it. I mean, newsflash, that's kind of, I'm sorry if that was a spoiler, you know. Bruce Willis is also dead in the sixth sense, if you didn't, you know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You just now get that? No, I'm kidding. Hey, that movie's old. Yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, the point is, anytime that's even worked out by even non-Christian people, this idea is so enticing. It's the fall of humanity. It's not good. The end of that is bad news, you know. To whatever level we can accomplish being God, we're really bad at it. The good news is God isn't. God is great at it. But the way he does it is the only way you can, and it doesn't always look to our eyes like what you would expect. And that's what you see when Jesus is coming. You see, we can really reflect a lot on that in Jesus' first coming. Because like we talk about, Justin even wrote a song about this. It's on our Christmas album. That like the only reason Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem is because they had to go there to pay taxes, which is like, yay, you know what I mean? And it's also like Roman people, you know, get over here and pay. It's like oh, seriously, like really, you know? And God uses that as His entry into this. You know, it's like whoa, like why would you, you know? And we would go, well, God will use this, and God won't use that, and God will do it this way. That's us trying to be the God, you know, God does this when I, you know, God moves in my life this way, God moves in, you know, and then here we are, the tax man is, a, is playing a key role in Jesus' birth, where the prophets foretold, <laughs> that's crazy, and then here he is, we don't have room for you, you know, for you guys, I'm sorry, there's too many people here, but we can put you in with like the animals. That's fine, you know, we'll take that, you know. And so the savior of the universe, the most important human to ever live, God in the flesh is born into our world in a kind of a leftover place because they didn't know what was going on. And I know, I mean, we, we, we say in, and it's not exactly how we think. It's not like Holiday Inn, you know what I mean? Like, there weren't rooms like that. It didn't work that way. But there are other people staying in that place. You know, I can only think that, like, somebody's going to the ice machine and hears them checking in, and like, gosh, that lady's pregnant, you know, and he's like, sort of like, I really like my room, though. Probably should give it to them, but uh, I'll just pretend like I didn't see anything. And so there's things like that. That dynamic is at play. You know, it's like people know, but they didn't know. You know, and what I want is we want to be like the shepherds that the angels tell, or like the wise men, the three, the kings, or you know, that are just paying attention enough to know that the king of the universe is born, because we're paying attention. We've come to honor him. Or the angel, we saw angels and they told us he's come. Like we, we want to. That's good news. You know, it's good news for everyone. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor. 
doesn't matter if you're, it doesn't matter, it's good news for everyone. <laughs> we want to be like that. We don't want to be like the people in room 28 of the inn or whatever that missed it. You see what I'm saying? Because we weren't paying attention. And it doesn't all come down to us. But the good news is that when somebody like John the Baptist is giving us, even all these years later, a warning that you can miss it. But he's telling you not to. Because the kingdom is coming. And we want to encounter it with joy, expectation of the coming of our king, not the end of our reign and the sorrow of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's offering it to us now. We call it salvation, being born again, dying to ourselves and accepting the life that Jesus offers us. And so it is a great and a terrible day, or a great and dreadful day, I think is that translation said. So let's stand. Father, we pray that you would show to each of us as they prayed in this, or as they spoke up to John the Baptist, well, what do we do? How do we do this? What are we supposed to do in our lives? And you gave them very specific instructions about how to make way for the king, how to remove the stones and the mountains that stand in the way, Lord, that you were coming to do that and that you would show us in our individual lives, our family lives, our work lives, how to make way for you and that you are taking us like a shepherd into new things. We sing in the song, you take us in, you lead us out, that we will follow you as good sheep, Lord, that we know your voice. Give us the courage to follow you. And Father, I pray that we would live holy lives, reflecting um, your your work, the, the, the lives that you are calling us to, that you are worthy of, requiring of us. And Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill us. And for those of us here that need to make major mountain changes in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that by the strength of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill this place with your presence as we sing this song. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer,